just before the talk, just a few minutes ago, I was um, up in my room and I walked out of the room and there was something in front of the door and I looked down and there was blueberries all over the place. And apparently somebody had left a cup of blueberries outside my door and <laughs> I didn't see them and they went all over. And they're very small little dark blueberries. <laughs> and then there was a note with it that said, um, these are good luck blueberries. <laughs> and so it made me wonder. <laughs> what was in store? <laughs> Um, but I did eat a few, just in case. Because <laughs> I thought that I needed some good luck tonight. I've been... Um, actually, I, I thought that I'd share with you some of my process around giving this talk tonight. Because um, it, I thought that I had a talk that I wanted to give you tonight. But about an hour ago, I was quite sure that I could not deliver that talk. <laughs> and since I'm not accustomed to speaking without a prepared agenda, a prepared talk, I was sure that I wouldn't have anything to say. So I was really left with a bit of a dilemma of wanting to share with you and, and be with you and speak with you tonight, but not knowing that I couldn't, give the talk that I wanted to give, and knowing what happens to me when I don't have a prepared talk. So here I was, right in the middle. And from that place, of course, there was a lot of, it wasn't equanimity. <laughs> there was a great deal of fear and anxiety that arose. In fact, I had to go and get Jose out of his tea because I needed to speak to him about what was going on. So I know that um, I'm in this process around speaking. And, and I know that a number of other people are as well, because it often comes up in one-on-ones and groups. And so since my original talk was about, or maybe still will be about, <laughs> <laughs> It may still be presented here <laughs> about how we do idealize and try to become something that we're actually not, and the need to face that reality and be with the truth of ourselves. It seems appropriate to just talk about this particular experience just a little bit as a direct way of addressing it. It's been a real difficult part of teaching, is having to sit up here and present myself to so many people. I start, the first time I gave a talk, I was in an education, it wasn't a Dharma talk, I was in an education program about 20 years ago, and had to give, pre prepare a talk and give a talk in class as part of the speaking program, since I was going to be a teacher. And what happened was that 
it was it was going to be my turn i knew that it i was going to have to give it that day after another person and first of all i had to excuse myself from the room at least two times to go to the bathroom and then when it was my turn to get up and speak i started to speak but what happened is i forgot to breathe and after 30 seconds i needed a <laughs> some air and I just gasped. I just went <gasps> <laughs> and it, it, it was not a good start. <laughs> and that's been the beginning. It's been um, very difficult. And the first time I gave my Dharma talk in 1986, I had to cry in my room for a half an hour before I gave it, <laughs> which actually did help because it, I felt a lot softer and more relaxed and I had let go of a lot through that crying. So it's, it's a process and, and what I find now after all this time and practicing the Dharma for 20 years and seeing that the fear and the anxiety still arises so strongly, what it really shows me is that in some ways the neurosis isn't what changes in the Dharma practice. <laughs> and, and this is part of the message that I wanted to give tonight because I think that so many people come to the practice, certainly come to the practice, and for so long hang on to the idea that we become better human beings, that we somehow improve and work through all of our psychological difficulties and become kind of pure and empty and loving and compassionate in all situations. And I know that this was my idea when I first started. I had projected an ideal of who I could become if I did the meditation practice. Because I heard, it might have been the way I interpreted the, the teachings I was hearing, but it sounded like that's what happened. When one hears about emptiness and dissolution and non-existence of things, living without fear, fearlessness. <laughs> and it easily reinforces these ideas that are so much taught to us in our culture about improving and becoming and becoming successful and all these ways that we can be better in the world. But I really think it's so important to, to talk about what really happens. So to perhaps dispel the myth as soon as possible that the meditation practice, and I think the spiritual journey, is not about becoming better. It's not even, as far as I can see, about changing the conditions of who we are that much on a relative level. In my experience, what I've seen is that 
what's changed is that I'm just not so bothered about what I see. It's that all of the stuff <laughs> still seems to go on in much the same way as it did before, but there's not the interest to change that. So much of my initial motivation in practice was to apply the technique so that that will stop, so that it will change, which then reinforced the idea of the end of suffering, that that was the end of suffering, when all that went away. But in fact, that isn't, in my experience, what happens. It seems that the end of suffering is when I'm not so wrapped up in what I see to be true. That there's just not so much interest or bother about that reality, the reality of my mind, the reality of my body. And perhaps you can sense the ramifications of this. I mean, it, it, it essentially means that Thoughts, thinking, can happen. And one isn't disturbed by that. The feelings, the emotions, the full range of emotions from sadness and fear and anxiety to anger and love and kindness and compassion, all of it is possible. Because that that tendency to want to manipulate or control or direct our experience to fit a particular ideal isn't operating anymore. That becomes, that need to want to change and be different becomes kind of a, a, a filter. Well, as Jose was talking about, a simulator, a hood, a helmet on consciousness, consciousness which then begins to direct everything into that goal, into that result or that outcome. But when one starts to see more clearly the truth of who one is, and you see that that all just comes and goes, it arises and passes, it stays for an instant and changes and shifts, how could any of that be who I am? Where's the substantiality in that? Where's the solidity in that? I'm sure you've seen in your own experience while you're here, a thought will just come up and flash in the mind. And then it goes. But when we see that another thought follows it, and then it links up with the last thought, which associates with that thought, and then another thought proliferates, and then it kind of draws out and becomes a story. <laughs> and then we think that that has some meaning. We forget that the thoughts just flashing, coming and going, coming and going, that in fact there isn't a lot of substance to that. It's like sitting and watching a movie, being in a movie theater. We get well, I do. I mean, it's very natural to get totally caught up in the, in the story, in, in the theater. But what's really going on? 
you know, if we stop the projector and look at the mechanisms, there's just a strip of film with a frame and then another frame and another frame. And you put all those together and you get a story. And then you sit there and watch it and get really involved in the whole thing. So we do exactly the same thing when we sit here on our safus. <coughs> These stories become so real. And then the, the, the emotions, the feelings that arise because of the involvement and investment in the story. And then that's what becomes life. Living, being human. But we see this stuff just kind of comes and goes. It comes and goes. A sensation in the body, you see, it's just there's there's an a vibration or an energy, a lightness or a, some tightness, and it maybe it stays for a moment, maybe it stays for a few moments, and then it dissolves. We don't have to change it. It's changing by itself. You can see that you can particularly sense that in the sounds, because sounds don't hang around like sensations sometimes, especially pain. The sounds, they just flash out of nowhere, out of nothing, and give this incredible vibration, and then they disappear into nothingness, into where they came from. But you can see that everything that appears disappears. So where's the substance? Where's the solidity? Where am I in all of this? So I think that that's what starts to wake up in us the awareness, consciousness, wisdom, the wisdom starts to grow. The wisdom starts to become more accessible. Another way of saying it is, it's not even that the wisdom grows, but that which we believe in as being real starts to dissipate. And that which we believed in as real is actually the limitation from accessing our wisdom that's already there. If I believe the thought about myself that I'm limited in some way, then the wisdom isn't going to have a chance to operate, isn't going to have a chance to play very strongly. So what we're pointing to again and again is look to see what you're believing in. The ideas, the concepts that you hold on to be true because it's likely these are not true. What you think about yourself is not the truth. What you think about a situation or another person is not the truth. 
This is what Christopher meant the other night when he said the Dalai Lama is not the Dalai Lama. <laughs> because people may have heard that in a way that may have evoked some animosity or disappointment in Christopher saying that. But things aren't what we think they are. And when we can really start to get some sense of that, that the thought of who I am is not who I am, then who I am starts to show itself. It starts to have some space to reveal itself. I have to take away that which obscures my vision, my real vision. I have to understand what it is that blocks me from seeing that truth. And what blocks it is when I believe what's arising in my mind and what's arising in my body. And I think that it means something about me. And that in some way, then I have to go in and fix it and change it. Whether it's just a set of belief system, a set of beliefs about who I am, my image of who I am, whether it's even a physical disability, some kind of a disease, some handicap, if I believe that is who, is who I am, it's also going to be a limitation to to the sense of the truth. And so this meditation that we do here is, well, we might say it's surgical, <laughs> which can be rough on us. It can be really rough because we're being asked to look in every corner of our minds to see what it is we're identified with, what it is that we believe about ourselves and the world, and see if you can let go. Let go of that belief. And in letting go of that belief, you see what's left. You see what's there. And then it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter what you see anymore. When I say it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that you're not fully engaged or I'm not fully engaged in that experience. But there's something else that knows. It's just coming and going, <laughs> rising and passing, appearing and disappearing. It's the expression of consciousness, the manifestation of purity and beauty. That everything that arises is part of creation. That I'm intimately connected with everything, every thought, feeling, sensation, 
sight, sound, with the air, with the earth, with, the, with fire, with water, that I'm not different than any of that. I'm not separate from any of that. So when we see, really use this practice as an opportunity to look to see what interferes with us knowing the truth of who we are. Because once you see that everything that arises, everything even that which we don't like in our experience, the, the, the difficult or the painful emotions and situations and interactions, that that's all part of what is absolutely necessary to be happening. Then we can honor each thing as it comes. This is the sense that I had just in this last year, that, that everything that comes to me, everything meaning a thought, a sensation, a sound, everything in my experience, a person, situation, that it's like a gift that's being offered to me. In India, there's, we offer prasad to the guru, the offering of a gift of, of love, And I had the sense that all of this was prasad. That everything that was coming into my field of vision was prasad. And that the way that I needed to receive it was to bow down and give thanks for the presence of that. And I hear so often, I mean, it's just so, so much part of people's expression of how they want things to be different. That what they see in their experience is unacceptable, unsatisfactory, and they want it to change, they want it to be different. And when I hear that now, my instant reaction, and I said this to to a one of my friends, is, I said, that sounds like a sacrilege. How could you not want what is being offered to you? Because I don't see how it can be any different. And my need, my wish, my desire to want that to be different is what causes me pain. That's what causes the suffering. Not the arising of the experience. The arising of the experience is totally empty. Totally... You can't even find it because as soon as you go looking for it, it's gone. You can't hold on to these experiences. 
So what's the point of getting so worried about them? Because they disappear anyhow. But not usually within our time frame. <laughs> and some things have a much longer time frame. <laughs> so we have to really trust that there is a process happening. There is a healing happening. There is a purification happening all by itself. And all we need to do is just get out of the way for that to happen. And what to me means getting out of the way means to really know what I'm doing when I'm in my way. And this is really what I think this, this, time, this time is about. We're just wanting you to really look and see how you're giving yourself a hard time. <laughs> so you'll stop doing it. Because when you stop doing it, you'll see everything's fine. <laughs> and nothing really has to change. The only thing that has to change is the hatred, the violence, the harming, and to see how we do that to ourselves. And doing it to ourselves, we're doing it to others. Because it's all the same. It's just one big whole. And so, for me, compassion has become a vital part of the teaching. And the longer that I'm involved in this spiritual journey, the compassion becomes more and more and more important. It's just been even in these last few months that the teachings of compassion have really woken up to me. Because I see how that act of being unkind to ourselves is so harmful. And even being unkind in a way by saying, I don't want this anymore. This has to go away now. These subtle ways that we're not kind to ourselves and our experience. And so this the world of compassion and the understanding of compassion is opening up to me in a way I never thought was possible. And compassion is never taught, em emptiness is never taught without compassion. Those two, two always go together. Because one might see the emptiness of things and it just leads to indifference and meaninglessness. But unless compassion really arises in the heart, life could be 
They're empty. <laughs> so I, I really, if there's a message that I can give tonight, it is about it is about being kind. I think it all comes down to being kind, being kind to ourselves. Because what I saw tonight in my own experience was, of course I didn't want this fear to arise. Of course I didn't welcome, or invite, I should say. I didn't invite the fear. I didn't say, oh, yeah, let's see. This last, this, uh, it's 5 o'clock. It'd be really nice to feel some fear right now. <laughs> where are you? Why don't you come visit? <laughs> it just showed up at my doorstep. And through the years, it's been, I've had enough evidence to prove that there isn't very much I can do about it at all in terms of making it go away. And that's the development of wisdom. Wisdom knows that it can't control anything. <laughs> it cannot, as much as I try, I can't change my experience. All the trying does to change the experience is just reinforce the sense of I and ego. And I, and, and I don't want that. <laughs> I mean, wisdom knows. Wisdom knows that I is out of control. I am out of control. So the last thing to do is try to control the experience. It's like adding more fuel on the fire to a fire that you want to put out. So all I was left with was just to go through whatever the fear wanted me to see, whatever the fear wanted to reveal to me, and to stay open, to notice that fear has the tendency to want to contract, shut down, close off, suppress, push away. Not the tendency, that is the nature of fear. That's fear's personality. It, it wants to block and limit and cut off and suppress. And so it takes even more conscious attention to see that I am not, that, that fear will not take over, that wisdom must be in control. And wisdom says that that is not who I am. And in staying with the consciousness, the awareness, the openness, fear starts to lose its power. It starts to lose its grip because it knows it's not going to get what it wants. And this is the process. Then wisdom starts gaining more control. 
consciousness starts gaining more control. Awareness starts to be empowered. And when you shine light in a dark room, darkness is dispelled. And so what all I know is I need to just keep shining my light. Not let these negativities, these habits, take over, overwhelm consciousness. But the only way they cannot overwhelm consciousness is to sense something else that's present. Something that isn't a habit. Hmm. <laughs> well, it's five to eight. <laughs> experiences like this can do is just continually continually reinforce faith. Faith in not knowing. (laughs) Faith in letting go. Faith in throwing away the crutches which create limitation. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings know the truth of who they are. Let's sit together for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.